0: from the scoop studio welcome to EMS and the economist this week the economist is marco nunciata my good friend marco thanks for joining me i feel thank thanks to you it's great to be back so what i wanted to start with was just a broad um a broad chat about latest economic trends i think you know some of the stuff we've seen in the headlines are the issues with originally with um silicon valley bank and then the uh, issue with credit suisse uh, what we're seeing in the banking community—that's obviously affected tech. Um, but I also think there's a general kind of uneasiness in the economy at the moment. What are you what are you seeing as the kind of general trends?
1: There is. Uh, Let me break it down like this, Phil. First of all, talking about the Silicon Valley Bank, Credit Suisse and the tremors we've seen in the financial system, I think the bottom line is that those were more or less isolated cases. So they they seem to be, in the case of Silicon Valley Bank, clearly the problem was that they had followed the regulator's advice, (laughs) piled up all all their assets into long-term treasury bonds and it blew up when interest rates went up. But Uh uh, Credit Suisse had some profitability issues that were longstanding. So there's no evidence so far that we're looking at a more substantial problem within the financial Uh sector overall. Having said this, I think the whole financial sector needs to come to terms with a world of higher interest rates. And here Uh we're connecting to the second part of the big picture, which is what's really going on in the global economy. And Uh the way I see it, is uh, we are seeing some signs of weakening, especially in the U.S., but there's still tentative signs of weakening. The labor market, for example, remains very strong in the U.S. Hmm. as it is in Europe. So the weakening in economic activity is still, it's very early stages. Overall, these economies are resilient, and therefore inflationary pressures remain quite robust and inflation has come down, but we're still looking at inflation rates running at 5 6%, which is a lot. Yeah. And my or guess 10% is- 10% in the UK. Oh, 10% or 10% in the UK, indeed, indeed. And so I think that means two things, Phil. One is that interest rates, especially policy interest rates, will remain higher for longer than people expect. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is, even when we beat inflation down, and I think it will take a couple of years- interest rates are not going to go back down towards zero. They're going to yeah. stay at what used to be normal. And financial yeah. markets are not yet prepared for this. And I think how financial markets and the economy adapt to the old normal, so to speak, is going to be the interesting thing to watch.
0: Yeah, I think it's fascinating, Marco. And what, I, what I've what i started to take from... What we've seen with interest rates this year and what it looks like in terms of projections going forward is that now increased interest rates aren't the blip. The blip was to have free money since almost since the last financial crisis in 2008. We've had this period of ridiculously low interest rates, and it's really impacted businesses. So the idea of um, investment funds throwing money at things because money is so cheap, um has has created this strange environment and we're now seeing a bit of the fallout from that period where you know perhaps particularly in high tech companies you know the facebook's apples um meta not facebook um amazon companies like that have have almost overemployed and now is that year of efficiency and correction so it's it's a curious market but it, it's almost like what we're seeing now is much more what people that have been in the industry for 30 or 40 years understand as normal interest rates.
1: That's entirely correct. The complicating factor, of course, is that people who've been in the industry for only 10 or 15 years have never oh. seen it. And yeah. so they they really need to, to adapt. But your point, Phil, is very important. The fact that especially the tech industry has been used to essentially free endless quantities of money for very long and now has to adapt to more normal circumstances where money is not free. I think that will change the business model. As you pointed out, we're seeing companies like Meta trying to adapt, but I think it's going to be a long journey for these companies to adapt and for investors and consumers also to understand better what is actually the value that these companies are bringing to the table, which of course differs from company to company.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think it's fascinating. And again, with those big companies, we have to, you know, originally we thought they were um, social network companies, but in many cases, they just turn out to be different versions of large media companies. They're media companies, they're media within, advertising within companies. Advertising model. And exactly. yeah. It's fascinating. The, the other thing I wanted to explore with respect to particularly those um, large tech companies and the substantial you know kind of five five digit layoffs that we've been seeing this year which again aren't huge compared to the employment they added in the last two years but that seems to be at odds with the talent shortage in the manufacturing space um i still constantly hear although there is some easing of challenges getting people that are operators that are engineers that are supply chain experts For the manufacturing industry, yet we're seeing thousands and thousands of Silicon Valley software engineers um, being laid off. Is that just a, a correction in the market? And is the the talent shortage because we have been manufacturing offshore for so long?
1: I think the, so definitely the fact that we have been manufacturing offshore for so long is an important contributor to the current shortage, because we have not even bothered creating the pipeline of talent that the manufacturing Mm. sector needs. So that's a very, very important consideration. And also the fact that manufacturing, I mean, you and I know it very well, but manufacturing for a while has been almost... out of fashion in most developed Western countries it was not the sector that the young people aspired to join. Mm. And then that, that needs to change. It's also interesting, as you point out, that uh, as manufacturing becomes more digital, you would expect it to be able to absorb or to benefit from the what is now an access of software talent uh, in the tech industry. Mm. To there, there is something there which is a bit puzzling. I think a part of it might be that... Uh, Digital skills which are needed in the manufacturing sector are somewhat different. I think what right. you really need in the manufacturing sector is a combination of digital skills and understanding of manufacturing techniques and yep. issues. The other part might be that the uh, a, there might be a delay. It might be the case that it's going to take some time before some people who have been made redundant in the tech sector decide that they could actually pursue some very rewarding careers elsewhere
0: yeah yeah and that you know they may be looking for some something very similar to what they're they've they've had in the past which is you know a startup with a foosball table and a Uh, kombucha bar and all that good stuff, and a six figure salary. Yeah, but you know, um, even even, that's going to be hard for
1: it's going to be hard hard to replicate.
0: It's going to be hard to
1: for for manufacturing to match. It's also going to be hard for true tech companies to replicate. So I think that's going to be gone for a while. But I think uh, the other important thing is uh, we. We as countries should really double up on the efforts to create this pipeline of talent for the manufacturing mm. sector, because uh, it's, uh, it's more than just an issue of reallocating existing labor. We need to create a pipeline of young talent that can mm. feed manufacturing and innovation in manufacturing. Otherwise, this is going to have very negative consequences for long-term growth in our countries.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's interestingly something that China did very well in the last in the last 15, 20 years, the the number of graduates that were coming out of their universities. That saw manufacturing as a very good industry to, to work in, and it's actually served them very, very well. So um, I think that's fascinating. I've been listening to your podcast on um eco, ecosystemic Systemic thinking. Futures. Um, ecosystemic futures. Wanted...
1: That's fun, yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a really interesting podcast, and I've enjoyed <clears throat> I've I've enjoyed the episodes that you've been on more than the others, but they've all been good. Um what I wanted to explore was how we look at manufacturing. And, you know, often people say to me, oh, you work in, in EMS, but what about semiconductor or what about supply chain? And always say, actually, we cover the whole ecosystem. So we tend to use the word ecosystem, but I wonder when we think of the structure of that ecosystem and the changes we're trying to make in the structure of that ecosystem, whether we really understand the processes of of ecosystemic um, processes and systems and how those things change so we take an ecosystem like the um, the manufacturing supply chain which has developed over decades in the last two decades has shifted substantially to a particular location now we're trying to maybe shorten supply chains and shift it back how agile can ecosystems be how easy are they to change are they like super tankers that take forever to turn around
1: there are a combination between the super tankers and much more agile boats. The, it's an interesting point, Phil, because it, it, as you mentioned, this podcast we are running in collaboration with NASA, this Ecosystemic Futures podcast, looks exactly at these issues. So instead of just throwing the word ecosystem around, Mm -hmm. how do we understand what an ecosystem really is and how different changes in technology, in society, in the economy, actually restructure the nature of the relevant ecosystems? And supply chains are a case in point, because as you've noted, the supply chains, to some extent, the globalized supply chains we had built over the past 20 years and more, Turned out to be quite clunky and quite fragile. So if you yeah. look at them from that perspective, the initial assessment should be, as you said, it's a super tanker. It's it can't it can't react fast enough. Mm-hmm. It breaks. A shock comes and it breaks. I think in this case it breaks. It's been breaking because. Uh, we have underestimated a number of risks as we were building these supply chains over the past 20 years. But if you look at it, if you look at it in a more traditional way, you would say, okay, now we understand the risks, so we restructure it, we reformulate it. Okay. If you look at it as an ecosystem, I think it's more interesting because you don't think about it in a centralized way. What are we trying to do? You think more in terms of What is naturally happening? What are the actors doing? And a lot of it is stuff that you and I have seen up close, right? Companies that immediately react with technological innovation to try to find new suppliers, to try Mm -hmm. to improve the quality and the monitoring of the products and the components are taking in. So you can see a lot of uh, immediate, natural, almost instinctive reactions by the different players in the ecosystem combining to create something different Mm -hmm. so in my view just to to summarize this phil i feel like the the nature of the ecosystem is that what happens is more organic and natural so it's a system that reacts to the shock and uh, in a very organic way, re-optimizes itself. And at the micro level, these changes are very rapid, they're very flexible. In some cases, also very disruptive. In the case of supply chains, I think we're still in the early stages and it's going to be very, very interesting to see how supply chains get restructured over the next 10, 15 years.
0: Yeah. And what happens when governments try to interfere with ecosystems, when governments try to use... Things like the CHIP Act, they use things like tariffs, they use things like incentives to try and bring the ecosystem or shift the ecosystem in a particular dimension or in a particular direction geographically.
1: They get between 30 and 50% of the impact they're hoping for, and 50 and 70% of unintended consequences. And I think we have to face the fact that governments are part of the ecosystem, right? So Mm. they have to do something. We want them to do something. The problem, of course, is when. The governments or we as the citizens feel that policymakers are all-knowing and all-powerful and we expect the solution to come from them. I think what happens is they come at us with a a mixture of measures, some of which are well-directed, smart, Mm. some of which are just stupid or driven by the wrong incentives. And then the system again adapts because their actions create a new set of incentives and the players adapt. So I think the, the yeah. interesting thing is when we see especially ambitious rounds of government intervention, to me, the more fascinating thing is how do you try to anticipate the unintended consequences? You know, yeah. We know what the government is trying to do. What is it going to actually achieve? What will actually yeah. happen as the new incentive feed through the system?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I think unintended consequences are, are fascinating. And when we look at the problems we have in the supply chain now, maybe they are some of the unintended consequences of chasing low cost labor around the world for yeah. for two decades, and uh, and now wondering why we don't have the talent in in parts of the world where we were leading the manufacturing industry 20 years ago so um i think there's some interesting things there kind of brings me to my last topic which will will um we'll we'll wrap up around and that's that's where we are on globalization and it it's for me it's fascinating i we're we're both displaced. You're you're an Italian living in Florida, or I'm a Brit living in Australia. Um, and I think we tend to look at things internationally. we we both lived in different parts of parts of the world, but I think some people just are looking at what's good for our region, what's good for our country. So there's um there are differing approaches. And I also don't think we've figured out what friend shoring and ally shoring really means mm-hmm. yet, and what relationship we should have with countries that perhaps don't share our values and goals and uh, and objectives. And I think it's we're just at a fascinating stage with globalization. I'm curious how you see that trend, whether actually less is more and we should be thinking much more local or whether we need to balance our Regionalization with with some realities about the fact that it that it is pragmatic and practical to manufacture in, in certain low cost environments.
1: Oh, it's such a, such a set of fascinating questions, Phil. Mm. I think the uh, as you pointed out, I'm looking at this from the perspective of somebody who has personally benefited from globalization in, oh. in in very concrete ways, but. Uh, I think globalization, as we understand it, has been overrated. I think we have, uh, yes, we've created more efficiency in the global economy, especially through global supply chains and lower costs. But first of all, as we've mentioned earlier, in terms of the efficiency of global supply chains uh, it's come at the cost of an increasing fragility, which we have ignored and then has come Mm. back to bite us. In terms of the impact of globalization and trade in driving global growth, yes, it's been there, but you have to wonder to what extent the impact has been not globalization per se, but the change in policies in some important countries such as China. Mm. So I think what we're seeing now, which is a rethinking of globalization, it's a, very fundament- it's a very fundamental trend. I think from an economic mm. standpoint, uh, there will be some economic cost, but I think it can be limited through the smart use of technology and through the smart yeah. use of building, especially the building of uh, human capital within countries, which we've touched on before. Mm. So I'm, I'm actually not too worried about uh, this retreat from globalization having a negative impact on the economy. What I'm more worried about is the more difficult aspect, which you also touched upon, which is the issue of values and cultures, right? Because before it was almost, we were getting the benefit of globalization in terms of cheap goods being offshore, the production of which was offshore. But we had a very... compared to today, a very managed and manageable impact of immigration. Uh Now, instead, the issue of immigration, cultural values, both within countries and across countries, is becoming much more prominent. And I think Uh how this plays out in reshaping the global order Is a much more complicated and dangerous issue than than we give it credit for. Bottom line, though, Phil, I think as we look forward from from the point of view of economics, manufacturing, EMS, I think we have to be prepared for the next 10, 15 years of. more localization, mm. more, not protectionism, but countries trying to become more strategically self-reliant. Yeah. And the self-reliance, I think, will come at a premium compared to the idea of friend shoring. Because, uh, as you said, there is a countries in deciding who their friends are, are weighing... Uh, in balancing principles values and economic interests so who yeah. your friends really are is not that clear is not that stable Absolutely. so i think localization is going to dominate
0: yeah i think that challenge of uh, of understanding what <laughs> who your friends really are um, is 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 really fascinating particularly when you look at it at a, on a on a global and uh, and international basis I, I find that fascinating marco thanks so much for your time i think it's been really Really interesting to debate those topics today. I would recommend anybody to go and uh, explore ecosystemic futures, um, your podcast. I'll put a link to that in the description here today. But in the meantime, thanks, Marco. We'll chat again soon. Thanks. Always a pleasure.